0: Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your co-hosts are Ronnie Langer-Kroger and Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is your host. Hello, everyone.
1: Welcome to Envision. I'm your co-host, Ronnie Langer-Kroger. Hope you all had a great new year. I'm excited to do my first show of the year with friends and colleagues Angela Seven and Gregory Mengel from Beyond Separation. When we discuss what it takes to create a regenerative society, we would be remiss to not talk about how race plays a role in our current systems and how racial justice is a necessity for our resilience. Creating a racially just society requires more than changing individual attitudes and reforming laws and institutions, both of which are necessary. Creating a racially just society also requires changing the implicit beliefs, mental models, and cultural narratives that shape our attitudes as well as our institutions. In this show, we'll discuss how Beyond Separation is leading the transformation in the way white identified people engage in the work for racial equity and racial justice. Hi, Angela and Gregory. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi,
3: Ronnie. Thank you. Hey, Ronnie. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thank you for being on the show today. Angela and Gregory, can you talk a little bit about your backgrounds and how the two of you and Alana Isaacs came together to co-found Beyond Separation?
3: Yeah, I'll start. Um, This is Angela. I, um, I came into this work really kind of through a, a couple of different channels, and I really um, was always sort of passionate about racial justice and equity through my work at San Quentin with the Green Life Project. And then um, I also was a community builder um, organizer, worked with on the Obama campaign and other things like that. So really, um, I came through community building and facilitation,
4: and then some organizing work. Uh, So I'll just go ahead and pick up from there if you're ready. Um, So this is Gregory. Uh, I really came into this work through the environmental world. I did my graduate uh, work at the California Institute of Integral Studies in the Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness program where we were really looking at... um, how to fundamentally transform our worldview as humans um, so that we can have a more uh, mutually beneficial relationship to the earth, right? And um, and I came out of that and I was doing that same kind of work with the Pachamama Alliance, um, leading their education programs. And through this process, I became increasingly aware that really an analysis of racism was largely missing from a lot of that conversation. And as I started to engage more and more in looking at like what was missing, I became more and more sort of captivated and preoccupied with that side of it because it really seems like the, some really crucial stuff that is too often sort of marginalized in our conversations um, around these, around the issues of like what to do about our, crisis of the moment. Um, Angela, you want to pick up with how we came
3: together? <laughs> yeah, so we we all um, sort of knew each other. Uh, I knew Gregory, and Ilana and I are very good friends, and um, and then we also um, connected through uh, Honda Mason, who is one of the founders of the Impact Hub Oakland, where I know up to my business boot camp has been. And so um, and that's also how I met Ronnie. And really about the time that uh, Trayvon Martin was killed and then George the was acquitted for his murder, um, what happened was, you know, there was, it was just a big moment in Oakland that we came together and conduct really kind of challenged us and, and, Asked us as white people what are we going to do and that we need to do something that really gets white people into a place of being able to show up for, you know, the the resistance or what have you um, to be able to um, be really better. Um, I don't love the term allies, but for lack of of better ones, some people say um, co-conspirators. Um, we really need to do our work. And so that's really when we started coming together and meeting and creating a, a curriculum and you know, sort of how are we going to do this work.
4: And just a word about Alana. I actually don't know, like, deeply, um, like, real details, but I know she she's been engaged in racial justice work for years and years and has done a lot of work in the in theater um, and improvisational theater in particular, and directing. Um, so in the arts, she really brings an arts focus to our work together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you all have terrific backgrounds. I know that you mentioned uh, before that Conda asked you why. Uh, what can white people do in I know that Beyond Separation works specifically with white-identified folks. Our audience may not be familiar with definitions of whiteness. What does it mean to be white-identified, and why was it so important for you all to work with white-identified individuals?
4: Um, Would you like me to take that? that Yeah, go for it,
1: Gregory. (laughs) Sure. So,
4: I mean, just to be clear, by white-identified, we mean people of European descent. you know, white people, like we say white identified specifically because we want to give people the opportunity to define what they are for themselves, um, right? But we really mean, you know, people of European descent. And, uh, you know, people people in the civil rights movement and the racial justice movement have for decades and decades been saying that white people need to go do our own work because when we come into their spaces organizing for change, and we haven't done our own work, um, folks of color end up having to do a lot of emotional labor to hold white people as we work our way through all the different feelings that come up when we're really looking at the ways in which we as a group have been um, really deeply uh, Complicit in creating the sort of injustices and systems of violence um, that we're trying to undo. Um, So yeah, yeah, that's that's great. And
3: I want to just add to that that um, often there's resistance around saying I'm white or white identified because we're you know there's a lot of uh, our culture wants to be colorblind. And really, um, that doesn't really um, acknowledge the, the racial, cultural, all of the things that actually are going on underneath the context of, of all that we do. So, to not name it as is um, kind of... It, it doesn't really help to kind of sort through where, where those intersections are with uh, race and identity.
4: Yeah, I
1: just want to underline
4: that. Thanks. Sorry. Go ahead, Barry. Um, that, was, that was a really great point, Angela. Um, as white people, a lot of us as white people, we get really uncomfortable when the fact that we are white is actually said out loud. <laughs> so um, we think it's really important to keep pointing that out because it isn't just people of color and regular people, right? That's how a lot of our white brothers and sisters think of it. Like, we're just neutral without a race. And the fact that we have one and that it means something is really important to emphasize.
1: Thank you, Gregory and Angela. One of the things that uh, has always intrigued me, because I've always wanted to be a fly on the wall in <laughs> one of your programs or consulting <laughs> engagements, but I'm just not eligible, right? <laughs> um, that it was important for you all to create a space um, just for white-identified folks to come together? And, um, you know, why was that in terms of, you know, being uh, a space with only only the, these types of individuals?
3: And that's a great question. Um, for me, one of the things that happens in this space is that um, there's, there's something we could talk about a little bit later, but it's, uh, you know, there's no... A Cultural thing around. Oh, I have to get it right, in in I would say the white culture, and so there's less pretense and in, in, in trying to um, to get it right for the people of color in the room, um, and more ability to to get into that uncomfortable place instead of just being silent. So I think that's that's a real big one. Gregory, do you have more to add to that?
4: Yeah, I mean, connected to that is just the. That we as white people we need to be able to share with each other all the crap that we've been conditioned with because we have so much shame around it, right? Like like I we all have implicit biases, right? So that's just a nice way of saying we carry around racist ideas <laughs> in our heads and we are conditioned to hide those, right? And that just perpetuates it. And if there's people of color in the room, we're not gonna be likely to go, Yeah, I have these racist thoughts. I mean, that would not even be necessarily kind to share that in a mixed group, so it's really important for white people to be able to share that stuff with each other so that we can discharge it um increase our awareness of it, and uh, be able to um do less harm when we're out there in organizing spaces or whatever
3: yeah, and I want to add that before we went into doing this um including Conda and several other people who we've just, you know, sat with and um, are really, I would love to name them, but I don't know that I have their permission to to name them other than Conda at this point. Um, But definitely people who have said, you know, we would really like you to do this work. Um, Our friends and brothers and sisters who are, are black and brown who have said, um, this is a good thing that you're doing. Yes, there are spaces where we can't come together, but until this, you know, until you guys are ready, that's that's just not a possibility right now. So that that is a general feeling that we've gotten.
1: I want to dig a little bit deeper into this space, and um, your primary program is beyond the culture of separation, an eight-week class for white-identified people where you use innovative and interactive learning modalities to examine the story of whiteness and imagine a new way of being human together. Can you break down what happens during those eight weeks?
4: Uh, yeah, I can take that. Um, so we sort of go through an arc. Um, we kind of start with how do we get here? Um, which is really looking at the deep history of the twin pillars of white supremacy, which is settler colonialism, you know, the way the Europeans came here, occupied this continent and continue to occupy this continent as a context, as part of the context. And, um, and, and the way that whiteness was created in opposition to those who were enslaved, um, and all the ways in which whiteness was constructed through that, um, dichotomy. Right, so we start there with that framework, and then we really look at all the dimensions of how racism is playing out, well, maybe not all, but some of the dimensions of how racism is playing out um, plays out in our institutions and in our organizations, which is white supremacy culture and the levels of racism, um, things like this, and then we move on to sort of like what kind of what would it, what would it mean to change, and what are the What are the things that are in the way, especially in terms of our own uh, internalized emotional structures that block us from seeing another way of being together, right? So that's kind of the arc of the class. And then in the flow of it, you know, we do a lot of things where we use our bodies and we use um, theater tools and improvisational tools to really integrate the information on multiple levels, of our consciousness, right, because a lot of times we really get, um, preoccupied with understanding, like, intellectually what, like, what happened, but we don't really take it in on those other levels, and that's really crucial,
3: um, and... and one of the things, yeah, I can, um, I can follow, kind of not cut in, but <laughs> just uh, in. Uh, add on to that, that um, the classes are usually, um, so they're once a week, about two and a half hours a week. Um, we actually have one coming up in March, and we also do a, a weekend intensive, which we have one in Marin in February. Um, and one of the things that we really encourage in this process is um, community building, which is kind of why I spoke up just now, because I'm really passionate about how we can't do this work alone. We have to do it together. And so, in this collective of, say, 15 to 20 people, we really build a foundation of how can people draw those barriers to really um, connecting with each other and then also to themselves in order to actually do the transformational work because if all of our, um, uh, I'm just saying, like pretenses and uh, things that keep us from being real with ourselves and others, um, we, we can't really get into that difficult stuff. So we really do take a lot of time to work with that.
1: And Gregory, you mentioned that you use theater, improv tools, and other embodied practices. Uh, you know, what does that do for the individual? You know, how does that fit into to you know the learning and um, changing the narrative?
4: Yeah, I wish Alana was here to answer that question because that is <laughs> her area of expertise. But as somebody who for whom that's been like a really growing edge for me. Um, I can say that it's it's difficult to answer uh, in language because it's really, like, I've just noticed as I've been doing this work with these different modalities that are more integral, um, that my relationship to the work has just shifted in a noticeable way, right? I feel more uh, just... I just feel a, a, a deeper, easier um, understanding of the depth of what we're dealing with, uh, rather than to sort of a you know a neck up kind of I know all these facts kind of understanding. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, and you know, as a, as a culture, that's one of the things that that's one of the things that we need to correct for you know, I mean sort of separately from the content of this class is the style of white supremacy culture is really to be focused on the intellectual at the expense of other ways of knowing. Um, so it's the two things are tightly wound together. We're trying to know this content in a way that is consistent with what the content is telling us.
3: And and I would Does, does that makes sense Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, Gregory, and this is Angela again. Um, I would also say that there is actually scientific uh, precedent or um, proof that if you combine your learning with um, movement, so whether it be, you know, we, you know, if we play, do an improv game or have the participants, you know, make up a skit or something, um, you know, such as uh, you know, along the lines of the you know, uh, what's the theater theater of the oppressed. Um, then what happens is your brain actually becomes more plastic, and is and it, you can actually create new pathways um, for this learning to actually embed in your system. So I believe there's a there is a direct connection between that cognitive function and then what we do uh, with our bodies at the time when we are learning.
1: Wow, that's a really fascinating conversation about uh, the, the dynamics of brain and movement. Uh, we have to take a, re- a short break. We are speaking with Angela Seven and Gregory Mengel from Beyond Separation, and we'll be right back after this short break.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future? Do you want your organization and people to flourish? Are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind? Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit regenerate.coach.
2: On the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com.
0: You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back,
1: everybody. We are here with Angela Seven and Gregory Mangle from Beyond Separation. We've been talking about Beyond Separation's programs for white-identified people who are committed to changing the story of separation. Before the break, we talked about the structure of the eight-week Beyond the Culture of Separation program. This is really hard work, and I imagine a lot of emotions come up, Gregory and Angela. Uh, Do you see any patterns in the process, like the seven stages of grief or anything like that?
3: Well, so we, we do get people who are already at a certain stage of, of wokeness, I guess you would say, um, generally because we are in the Bay Area and um, people are already sort of on their way to coming to us as, okay, I, I really need to do something. I need to learn something. Um, So, we don't really get the sort of hard denial that that you would get in some other types of settings. Um, And, you know, people are always in different places. I'm always in different places. So, um, the main things that come up, the main patterns are more subtle in their forms of like avoidance and intellectualizing. Sometimes there's skepticism like, I don't think I'm racist, you know, and and then um, you know, just a lot of people try, really trying very hard to get it right. Um, so as each layer gets uncovered, um, there are you know responses like anger. You know, I can't believe this this been happening. Um, grief. You know, gosh. Oh, you know, I, just the weight of everything comes in, and then you know, shame as well. And so these are, this is yet another reason why we do, um, have this as a, a white-only space is because sometimes when that comes up and tears come, things like that, you know, there's there's been a lot in recent years about white fragility, and so, yeah, that's a thing, and, and you know, and there are times when I do need to, you know, kind of move through those emotions and the, the form of it looks like tears or grief, um, and the, the point the whole point being that we don't want to get stuck there, and that because that can be really immobilizing, and people just give up or they just say, okay, I cried and I'm sorry and please forgive me, and and then just want to move on and, without actually doing some work. So this is a space where really all emotions and all feelings are welcome, and um, and the purpose is
4: to to actually be with those feelings yeah, just to underscore you know in a lot of spaces um feelings really people acknowledge that there's these feelings, but there's there's sort of an another layer of but you shouldn't really have them, you know if you're having guilt or shame you should you should get over that rather than you know that's real, and that's part of our conditioning and we actually have to feel those feelings in order to get to the other side of them. There's no jumping over them.
1: With all these feelings that come up, what would you say that people are the least prepared or least expecting to experience in the eight-week class, and how do you support them through that?
4: Um, I want to take a stab at that. I think one of the hardest things for people and for us is when the kind of resistance arises that isn't recognized by the participant as resistance. <laughs> um, because, you know, we're part of this system, and this system is white supremacy, Is the system I'm talking about. It's rigorously self-correcting, and it works on unconscious levels. So I may be doing this work um, and trying to dig into looking at my own internalized racism or whatever, and I may start feeling like, oh, you know, this program really isn't the one for me. And, oh, there's too much going on in my life right now. And, oh, the traffic is just terrible tonight. <laughs> and, you know, my unconscious will start throwing up reasons why maybe a different thing, maybe later, right? And we, we see it enough, um, Angela, Ilana, and I, we see it enough that we, we can usually realize that that's what's happening for people, but they don't necessarily know it because what they see is the, they see the obstacles and they believe them. And it's hard to separate because sometimes, you know, the obstacles are real. Like, so life does have a lot, you know, it's throwing at us. And we do have other priorities. But um, so it's subtle and it's, it's difficult to, to manage. Difficult for them to manage and it's difficult for us to manage with them because they're not really, telling, they're not really able to tell us um, that they're experiencing resistance, you know. And they don't really want us to tell them that if they think it's because they have to work late or whatever.
1: It's interesting that you say that. I get the same thing uh, when it comes to working with entrepreneurs and their resistances to certain aspects of um, starting and growing their businesses. Um, So it Mm -hmm. shows up in some of the same ways as uh, people, you know, uh, not showing up on time or showing not showing up at all for for certain classes, especially the ones around money. Um, how do you support okay. people through those processes? <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: A lot of what we do is just to have people notice it and move away from the, the self-doubt and judgment that can come up and being able to just name something is um, it can be really powerful and also helps to, to have people support each other um, through the process. Um, we, we do, um, we, well, I, I guess I can give it away, we also have like a buddy system, so um, <laughs> we we'll really encourage everyone in the class, in the course, to support each other through this because um, it, it can be a very isolating type of work. Yeah, the
4: buddies actually, you know, they, they, they provide a, a, a kind of accountability, right? Because if you're like, I'm not feeling like going tonight, but my buddy's expecting me, and I'm going to check in with my buddy in class, and so if I'm not there, I'll be missed, right?
1: Yeah, that's that a accountability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. What part of the program do you feel has been the most impactful or transformative for participants?
3: So I would uh, say the way. Oh, uh, okay. Where were you going? Okay. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, the way that we hold the material and the participants, like we were talking about before, um, sometimes people come in with an expectation that they're going to be made to feel a certain way, and we we really welcome whatever feelings people have and help them to see, like Gregory was talking about, how that's actually part of this conditioning of white supremacy culture. And we really, you know, it's like an aha moment for people, how they can realize that it's those feelings that are what actually are keeping them stuck as far as just, like, the avoidance and the resistance. Um, And even just, even apathy as well. So I think what really happens is when people find that just really being with that and looking at it, noticing it, being in a a non-judgmental way um, allows for something else to happen, allows for a shift to happen. And um, and it's just, yeah, it's just amazing to watch um, people just have those moments where they're like, oh... I see myself there. I've been doing this white savior thing for years, or ever since I can remember, you know. And um, and now I, I I can see that in myself, and have a, a, a tool, you know, to actually work through it and do something about it.
4: Yeah. So, yes, and um, that God leads right into. Um, the way I heard the question was sort of like around which material or which processes, right? And what Angela was just talking about with the white savior reminding me that um, you know, we have like one process where we look at the archetypes of how white people show up, which the white savior is a big one. And we just, we have a brainstorm where people name different ones. Um, the white splainer, the person who who gets their... Um, gratification by explaining racism to people who know less about it or whatever. Um, The guilty white person, there's all these sort of archetypes or ways that each of us show up in different points in time. Right. Um, And we play with that in a way that allows people to experience, you know, embodying those archetypes and, and not that can be really impactful. Um, And then another one is we have some material that is pretty provocative uh, in terms of um, getting people to look really directly at some of the impacts of uh, racism on people of color and to take that in in a way that isn't just feel bad, but it's just notice everything your mind does with that material, you know, whether it's being feeling guilty or rationalizing or... Um, or thinking that, oh, people of color are so brave and strong for being able to take that. You know, like all these things come up and we really look at how uh, like cognitive dissonance is acting to keep us from really um, being able to take it in fully and in all its nuance and in all its layers.
3: Yeah, and I do want to mention Sonia um, Renee Taylor's work with the um, "The Body Is Not an Apology." She's also a spoken word artist, and I think I know you know her as well, Ronnie. Um, and she has really impacted us and has been very generous with us uh, around sharing some of her work, some of her poetry, and so that is included in some of the um, the content that we use.
1: Sonia's amazing. Um, yes. I uh, I understand that many past participants in Beyond the Culture of Separation have really applied their learnings in their everyday work in their communities. Uh, can you share a couple of their stories? Yeah. Um,
4: one, one particular participant, she's kind of a superstar, but um, she describes, she's emailed us about her, um, the impact that the class has had on her. And, you know, she says, like, I went from being a well-meaning white lady who didn't think racial justice had anything to do with me to someone who tends to dedicate the majority of her professional talents and energy to the exploration, interrogation, and transcendence of injustice. Um, and she quit her job and started a business where she's really working mostly with black-owned organizations, helping them you know, market themselves and, uh, build their businesses. Um, she's doing some really deep work with her children's school, um, organizing inside the school to, uh, it's a private school in San Francisco to bring more understanding to, um, how racial justice needs to be integrated into the curriculum and stuff like that. Um, she's working, uh, co-facilitating a, a white accountability working group with 300 plus communications professionals. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could, I could go on and on about her, uh, her adventures. Um, mm-hmm. but she's, she's the one, she's one of our alumni, we're particularly proud of. And then we have had people go on and just become, you know, really involved in surge, um, you know, joining joining or heading up various committees, organizing committees and stuff like that. We have somebody who's uh, um, developing uh, a food justice curriculum that's really integrating, um, you know, the sustainable food movement and looking at racial justice, um, how that, you know, plays into it. Um, and then I'm not sure if you've heard of, um, there's a White Awake group. Uh, that is ongoing, having eight-week programs um, in East Bay. And that was started up by one of our alumni, um, who's also a longtime organizer in, in uh, East Bay. Great. So those are just a couple of examples, yeah?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are, that's some awesome work that people are doing. Um, with the events, like the 2016 presidential election in Charlottesville, Have you seen a rise in demand for your programs, and how have your programs evolved as a result of these events? So, we
3: did get a post-election bump, I would say, and and actually one of our classes was taking place right during the election. Um, And we don't really know, you know, too much more than, you know, Facebook and Twitter and, you know, Getting things out word of mouth by email. by emails. We have people on our list. We've done some events uh, as well at uh, you know different venues just to introduce people to um, to what we do. Um, we really are kind of a stump, though, about how to get the word out. So this, of course, this uh, is a great opportunity here, um, and we always include. What's happening right now, um, because it is such a highly activating landscape that we live in, um, we always include something from that, you know, it, there's a lot of checking in, okay, this is happening, how is this, you know, working with the topic that we're talking about that that evening. Um, and so, you know, maybe because of that, um, it does seem like groups are in they're really getting into things a bit more, maybe delving them deeper. It just seems like it to us um, that people are really in a questioning time because it feels like what we were doing before wasn't working and, you know, we have what we have now and it seems like things, in some ways, racially speaking, are worse. Um, And so a lot of people who were, you know, started out well-intentioned, well meeting. you know, white people are like, well, I got to really, um, figure this out, and, uh, so there is, there is more interest, and I have to say, though, there's still a lot of, well, I got that covered, I'm not racist, um, so, yeah, we, we need to do more.
4: And... You know, people who go through the class at the other end um, are always pretty transformed and have a new—they just have a new context to understand current events, right? And we don't necessarily integrate current events explicitly into the curriculum um, in a deep way because, really, our program is, uh, is about understanding the larger context, that makes all the stuff that's happening every day
1: make sense. Yeah, that yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, that makes sense. What, that, what
3: I would just add to that too sorry, is, um, we really um, develop this lens really through our class. I would say um, for people to really look at their lives, their work, everything in a different way.
1: That's terrific. a new story. <laughs> Definitely. We need to take a short break, and we'll be right back. We're speaking with Angela Seven and Gregory Mengel from Beyond Separation.
0: us on twitter at voice TRN. get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future do you want your organization and people to flourish are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations, and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit regenerate.coach. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: are listening to envision to find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions please visit our facebook page at facebook.com forward slash envision regenerative communities now back to this week's show
1: Welcome back, everybody. We are speaking with Angela Seven and Gregory Mengel from Beyond Separation. Beyond Separation provides programs and consulting for white-identified people who are committed to changing the story of separation. One last question for you all on the Beyond the Culture of Separation eight-week class. Um, I noticed that in the subtitle, it says, Whiteness in the Embodiment of a New Story. What does that new story mean to you all?
3: Well, I'll
4: take a stab at that. Uh, so I think that um, one of the things about the, where we are right now in terms of how we're looking at transforming our world, right, so that it's more sustainable and um, works for more people, um, is that we really don't exactly know what to do <laughs> um, on many levels. And so we kind of have to make it up. Like We can't look to the past. So there's those people, they had a civilization or a society that worked for everybody. We really have to figure it out, right? And so we have a lot of old stories. Um, we have old stories about how to do this right. You know, old stories about how to do uh, racial justice, you know, that come from previous eras. But this era is really calling us to develop a new story. And I'm not saying... That we, the Beyond Separation people, are trying to develop a new story um, because that's not our role as white people. Um, But to be open to that kind of transformation, and really that involves um, learning to hear the voices of those who are most negatively impacted by the the society that we have, right? That's a big part of it. Um, And just recognizing that what we need to move into doesn't exist yet. It has never existed. And so creativity on all levels is called for. Uh,
1: This Uh, is really powerful. Um, And as you think about, you know, what that new story is and how it, you know, can be pervasive across the country, across the world, um, how do you see Beyond Separation expanding in order to serve that? <laughs> well, um,
3: we will go anywhere <laughs> that somebody would want to bring us. Um, and you know, we've had actually, um, I think this coming class in March will be our ninth uh, over the course of what, it's been two and a half years, I believe, um, since we offered our first class eight-week class, and uh, we also did an intensive weekend last year in San Francisco, and we'll be doing one in Marin uh, in February, and so I do feel like, you know, each person who is impacted in this way, um, and also some of the other workshops that we do, um, there's, there's something that happens, and I think... I don't even need it to be named beyond separation, although I think there's elements of what we're talking about that are unique. Um, it It can just grow from people going out and doing this work and um, and i I really would like to see more of this in places like Indiana in places like um, um you know the Midwest, which is where actually where I grew up in Michigan, um, and then you know there's there's a lot of places in organizations, uh, environmental organizations, uh, are really reaching out uh, to us actually, and in, in ways that we haven't seen before, where every uh, organization really needs to have. A racial justice lens, I believe, especially in that nonprofit-industrial complex. Or you know, I mean, I really feel like there, there needs to be more layered approaches uh, to the work that we do, whether it's environmental, economic, um, you know, human rights. All of those, um, we we really have to have a, a basis for. Um, how we do this work as white people.
4: And just to underscore, we do uh, work with organizations. Um, we're definitely uh, in that sector, and we're open to doing that, and we're open to um, offering the weekend workshop um, anywhere, really. And I think you were saying this, was. We also just want this kind of work, this approach, whether it's under our name or not, to really catch on because we really think it's crucial that we have this uh, way of engaging white people that makes it much more clear to them what's in it for them. I think that's one of the core things that we offer is, is an understanding that we can do this work for our own personal and spiritual
3: liberation. yeah I just want to add one more thing about you know where this work can go I do see that as people become more uh, comfortable with the uncomfortable and awkward conversations that need to be had um, with other white people, with um, their cousins, you know who voted for the current president? Um, I believe that it can provide a way for for there to be some healing and some shifting in that consciousness as well, so because if we can't talk about it with our own family members, um, then you know where are we?
1: Yeah. Do you have any recommendations on resources um, for people who are interested in doing their own work but don't have immediate access to your programs or programs like yours in, in their area?
4: Well, we do have a resource page on our website, beyondseparation.net, um, under resources, that has some videos and some readings um, that people can engage with. Um and some other people who offer trainings uh, besides us. So, um, but we really think, you know, it's important that people not try to do this work alone. I mean, it's fine to read books. I encourage reading books, but that's not, an, that's never going to be adequate. Because isolation and um, do-it-yourselfism is part of the problem, right? And what we're dealing with here is a collective. Level uh, pathology, if I can call it that. And so we need to work on it collectively.
1: Yeah, the the community aspect of what you do. Exactly. exactly. Looking forward, what does success look like for Beyond Separation?
3: Well, we, we would really like to end white supremacy. <laughs> um, <laughs> In our time. That's definitely something I've called forth many times. Um, and success really looks like um, more opportunities like this, more opportunities to work with organizations. You know, there's such a need in um, businesses um, for this awareness. And, you know, there's a lot of white leadership that, you know, see themselves as a savior, and that's really you know, a hard thing to get out of, and I think requires a lot of um, just, you know, reflection. So I really would love to give people the opportunity to do that in a way that doesn't send them the other direction.
4: <laughs> and more conversations about whiteness as opposed to conversations about... Um, you know, other groups or conversations about diversity. Um, We really need to be talking about whiteness, what whiteness is, and the impact that it's having.
1: And how can our audience support uh, the work of Beyond Separation?
4: Um, They can help us get the word out. About our programs and about our organization, Um, they can talk to the organizations they are part of to see about bringing us in. Um, We're not a nonprofit; we don't take donations at this point, so um, uh, we don't we don't we can't offer them that possibility. But um, yeah, just making more people aware that we exist and the work that we're doing is the best thing that people can do for
3: us.
1: And 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 take our class,
3: if you can get there. (laughs) Um, Our weekend intensive uh, in Marin is February 9th to the 11th, and the next eight-week class is in March in Oakland, you can get to it through our website or through our Facebook page. Um, and I would say, you know, in, with these resources, we'd be happy to also, if you do have donations, but to put them toward organizations like Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, local um, black-owned businesses supporting um you know, any uh, there's uh, Barrios Unidos, Santa Cruz. Um, there's a lot of really great organizations that are um, doing great work.
1: Well, thank you so much, Angela and Gregory. It was a pleasure having you on the show today.
4: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being on the show, and um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity.
3: Thank you, Ronnie. Really, um, I love. I loved it. It was awesome. Yeah, it was super fun. To use a, a white phrase.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, today, we spoke with Angela Seven and Gregory Mengel about how Beyond Separation works to heal the personal and collective wounds of white supremacy to create equity, freedom, and justice. Look for announcements on our voiceamerica.com homepage, and you will find a recording of today's show and other shows and social media links. Thank you again for joining us today. I'm Ronnie Langer-Crozier, and this is Envision.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Envision. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. For more information about today's guests and upcoming shows, please see our show page on voiceamerica.com. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.